Wake up, sleepers. It's time to be courageous. Time to do anybody any on that courage this year? Did you face 2022? Courage, commitment, candor, clarity. These are things I need. Maybe you need them too. Now, over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about courage and what it is to be people of courage, light in the world. And just know this, that when preachers preach, we preach first to ourselves. And so uh, as I preach to myself and Brandon preaches to himself over the next number of weeks, uh, we hope that maybe it will be helpful to you as well. But this, these are things we do together. And we're going to look at how to live a brave, a brave life. And today we're going to look at what is courage um, and how do we do that. So just think for a moment, where do people need courage right now? You might shout it out. Do you know where you need courage in your life? There's all sorts of places. For many of you, coming out of Christmas or as you face a new year, it's, it's about difficult conversations with friends and family. How do you do that? How do you have the courage to speak the truth, to give light to a place when you know that probably won't go very well? For others, it's COVID. I, I must admit that when I found out yesterday that one of my sister churches here in town uh, was closed because they had no staff that was well, uh, I, I had pause. I was like, huh, imagine that. Hopefully we'll stay open, you know? And we, we've got people out this week, and uh, maybe you all probably know some folks that are sick. It's, it's on my mind, maybe on your mind. And, of course, that affects our finances. Folks um, need some courage around our finances and loneliness so that you don't actually go into a relationship that doesn't help but actually hurts. Uh, there are folks um, battling cancer who, or who have had cancer. I mean, all of these things, you need courage to face those things. Uh, some folks are pregnant and wonder about that. Others uh, have tried to be pregnant or had losses. These are very difficult things in life. Others have been through a divorce or going through a divorce or fear divorce. Their conversations need to be had, but you're not sure how that's going to go. For others, it's prolonged illness. Day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. They're just trying to continue to move on through life. And then, of course, there's death. And, and it comes to all of us, but we as Christians, we live differently because Jesus Christ is the resurrected one. That's why we keep the cross front and center of every worship space we've ever had. If you go over to the chapel, there's a cross just like that right in the center. Uh, here, it's right in the center. When we build sanctuaries, we have the, the question, well, where do you place the cross? Where do you put the screen? There's a lot of churches that put the screen right in the middle, um, but not us. We place Jesus Christ at the very center of our worship, the center of our lives, and it is the center of our courage. So what keeps you from having courage? What keeps other people from having courage? Well, for most of us, it's simply fear, isn't it? False evidence appearing real. There's lots of things that we can be afraid of. Some of them we don't need to be afraid of at all. It's just in our minds. Other things are very real. And we would be foolish not to pay attention. How do you know? Well, I don't know about you. Any of you all keep any of your books from college? Yeah? How, how often do you read them? Right? Well, for me, I, I, I did that in undergrad, and I've, I realized I kept way too many of them. So when I got to grad school, I vowed, like, I'm not going to keep all these books. Like, that's ridiculous. But then, so then I became very particular about which books I would keep. And this is one of them. The Four Cardinal Virtues by Joseph Pieper. Um, he's an incredible scholar and philosopher, and um, this was for my moral theology class. It was a, a class on ethics, um, 
Dr. May was an incredible uh, thinker, scholar, had, had served all over the world um, in think tanks, and it was just an amazing deal. And this was the prime, one of the primary books that we started with. And so I would recommend it to you. It's not an easy read, um, but it, it, you'll be interested in sort of how the world has come to understand virtue and goodness. And so in this book, um, it starts out that in Plato's Symposium, all the way back in 400 B.C., right, 400 years before Jesus, there came about the four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Now, we're going to translate fortitude as courage. There's some nuances there, but for our work, we're going to use courage. But these ideas have been around four centuries before Jesus was born. And they were introduced as the hinges, as the things that absolutely were necessary to have a virtuous life, to have a good life, to live what we'll know as a Christian life. These are things that must be in place for you to live into everything that God has for you, right? Prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude. Now, this isn't unique to us, right? Because it was around before Jesus, it was around um, through Judaism. There's now Greek thought, Roman thought, uh, Jewish thought, Christian thought, and we all developed our own doctrines of virtue. So, so I want to be upfront about this. If you want to learn about courage, it's not a uniquely Christian value. It, it, you can find it in any of these places, and I would recommend it to you. There's wisdom there. Truth is truth, and wisdom is wisdom. But here's the difference. Unlike the others, Christian courage is rooted in the cross. It's rooted in what God has done in Jesus, not in ourselves. Right? That would be foolish to trust ourselves to be courageous in every instance. No, our courage is rooted in, not rooted in our ability or determination. Our courage is rooted in what? Say it with me. Jesus. It's what he's already done for us, and that's why the cross is where it is. The center of our life, the center of our worship. So if you take these four cardinal virtues that have been around in, in lots of areas, um, and also now in Christianity, there are three others that are... Um, listed in 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this at a wedding. Faith, hope, and love. These three, and the greatest of these is love, right? So you know this. So actually, then there, we, we have what we would claim as seven Christian virtues. Uh, same with me. Faith, hope, and love. And then prudence, we're going to call wisdom, right? So if you'll say wisdom with me, wisdom, and then temperance, justice, and courage, right? Or what they called fortitude previously. And we're going to hang out here on courage for about six weeks because we need it. It's important. Um, it is the catalyst for what God has for us to do. Super important in our world. Super important this year. So, but here's the thing. It's not the most important. I know that's a weird thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do a sermon series on courage, but it's not the most important thing. Well, because, and this is the why. Wisdom is first. Right? Wisdom is first. This thing that they used to call prudence. Wisdom, you, you have to know what the real thing is. What, is. what is reality? What's really going on? Right? We're not guessing at it. You have to know what the truth is. And so wisdom is to know reality and then have the ability to make the right decision. Perfect wisdom would be perfect every time, and only God has that. Only Jesus has that. But from time to time, we can be wise. And, and so here's the thing. If it's not the right thing, it's not courage. Right? It's not courageous to do the wrong thing. That's evil. It's foolishness. It's terrible. It hurts the world. So in order to be courageous, you have to first know what is right and true and good and the truth. That is, prudence is the first, or wisdom is the first virtue that has to be in place for all the others to work. 
And, and so when, when I use this term evil, I'm not just throwing it around. I certainly don't mean uh, the devil with a little pitchfork and little ears. Uh, what we're talking about, um, and I, I've used this before, but I think it's really helpful, that evil is simply the opposite of live. Right? And so you and I, we have a choice to make each and every day, time and time and time again, whether what we're about to do either brings life or takes away from it. It's either live or evil. There's really no in-between. Every choice you make is pushing you one direction or the other over and over and over and over again. And what happens so often to us is we make little bitty choices and then we're like, well, how did that happen? It just happened. No, we've made lots of choices either towards life or away from life. And so we have to have the wisdom to know what is right and good, what is truly those things that bring life and those things that take away from it. So to know what is right and fail to do it is also evil. It also pulls away from life. See, here's the thing that we so often get wrong in Western Christianity, and that is somehow, some way, people have dumbed down our entire faith, the, the most incredible thing that's ever happened in the world, in the universe, and dumbed it down to not doing bad stuff. Now, I'm not encouraging you to do bad stuff, but our faith is much bigger than that, much, much bigger than that. And um, James, Jesus' little brother, said as much. He said, anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. It's evil. If God shows you your next step and you refuse to take it, it takes away from life, from his plan, from the ability to bring heaven to earth. And so we, we make no mistake, our life is all in for God. And when he gives you something, when he shows you something, it is really important to follow into it, to walk into it. And that takes courage. Super important. So it's not, our, our faith is not just not doing certain things that the world might say is, is not good or not healthy. It's about actually bringing heaven to earth. Courage is the catalyst between knowing what is right and the ability to do it. So wisdom is important, but it's not enough. If you know what is right, you finally figure it out. You've spent a lot of time there, and this is right and true. And your actions over here, you have to have courage to get you there. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've, I do this all the time. There are things that I know are right and true and good, and I know as soon as I open my mouth to say it, I'm going to get hit on the head, right? By at least a third of the population, if not half, certainly in these days. But it's, it's no less true, but it takes courage to step into the truth, the reality that really is reality. Friends, courage is the delivery system for heaven to come to earth. That's what we pray every week in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. And that takes courage, real courage, different choices than the world makes to bring heaven to earth. It doesn't just happen. So when I was a little boy, I used to love to watch martial arts movies. It was very cool, and I like to pretend that I could do it. I could not, but I, I like to do it. And so I, when I came across this quote from Bruce Lee, I wanted to share it with you. Um, he says, courage is the ability to act. Courage is an action, friends. Courage is the ability to act in the presence of fear. Oh, yeah. I wish I could do that. I can't do that. But that would be really cool if we could do that. But it is an act to bring the right thing into the world. Psychologist Susan David uh, puts it this way in her writing. She says, courage is simply fear walking. Fear walking. It's not that you're not afraid. But you've got to walk it out just the same. And then my favorite is from Dorothy Bernard. She says, courage is fear that has said its prayers. 
Church is fear that has said its prayers. We ask God to be with us right in the middle of our fear. That becomes, can become courage. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at this book, uh, Courage. Uh, if you'd like, we've got small groups uh, starting this week on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, and we, it's, it's a six-week series. And so we use this as inspiration, what Brandon and I will do over the next six weeks. will not be a mirror of that, but we'll, that'll be inspiring to, for what we talk about here. And then your groups will be other um, work. So I hope that you will uh, be a part of that, get to know some other people in your church. Uh, as you know, we have multiple services here, and so it would be really wonderful for you to get to know each other. It might take a little bit of courage. So here it is. If you want to know where we're headed and what we're about, or if you want to um, maybe go back and see some things, this is, this is what we're doing. Today we're going to talk about the clarity of courage. What is it? How do we do it? How do we get started? And the next week we're going to talk about the conviction of courage, and then the candor of courage on the 23rd, the hope of courage on the 30th, And then the fortitude of courage, we're going to talk about the difference. Fortitude is really uh, this life and character of courage uh, over time. And then on the 13th, the love of courage. You'll notice um, that the courage of love is the day before Valentine's Day. You're six weeks away, friends. Just fair warning. And then, if you totally mess it up, we're going to start our relationship series the next week. So... (laughs) We'll do that for two weeks, and that'll be Lent, and that'll be Easter. So that's the way it goes. So to know what courage is, we also have to know what courage is not, right? Courage is not a daredevil spirit. It's not, oh, I can do anything, anytime. It's not to be reckless, not at all. Uh, and now, daredevil spirit is cool. I mean, I grew up with evil Knievel. I thought he was cool when he you know, went over the Grand Canyon or he was on his bike. As a 54-year-old man, now, that's not cool. That's crazy. Right? Got to have some wisdom around this. It's not daredevil spirit. Uh, Joseph Pieper puts it like this. He says, The man who recklessly and indiscriminately courts any kind of danger is not for that reason brave. All he proves is he considers all manner of things more valuable than his personal intactness. <laughs> Which I love because I've seen evil can evil go like not intact, right? And so that's not bravery. That's stupidity. It's foolishness, recklessness. So to be brave is not the same as having no fear. It's just not. In fact, the wisdom literature in the Bible found in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes says the exact opposite. The writer says the fear of the Lord, real fear of the Lord, reverence, respect, honor, understanding. It's the beginning of wisdom. When we understand that God is first, God is most powerful, God is the only true wise one, then when we actually have respect for that fear, that like, ooh, like, okay, I can't mess with that, Everything else falls in line. We can have courage in every other instance when the very wisdom of God resides in us. So courage is not the absence of fear. It's the right ordering of fear. And that has stayed with me because um, I wrote an entire paper on that in my moral theology class. And one of the things that I talked about at the time um, about it's not the absence of fear, it's the right ordering fear, is because I love to ski. Some of you here have actually gone skiing with me. And so this is my son and I. This is Noah uh, and I and, and some starter jackets Chantel found in the early 90s. Really cool. And um, we don't know where they are now. Thank the Lord. So, but anyway, can you imagine if you go skiing and you have no fear, is that a good idea? No. No. There are certain runs in certain places you should be afraid of. Muerte at Santa Fe is one of them. Right, double black underneath the lift. Like that's not smart unless you are a really good skier and you are fresh. 
right? And so the thing is, Noah and I, we like to ski. We like to ski fast. We got a ski app and we put it in our pocket. It tells us how many miles per hour we're going. We see who can ski the fastest. Again, not wise uh, now that I'm at my age, but super fun at one time. So here's the thing. It's not that that you have no fear. It's the right ordering of fear. And so here's the thing. Like in, in the day, look for a groomed run that's like blue and really fast and really good. You have a good time and you can live to tell about it. That's good if you're me. But do you, some of you have done this. When you're younger and you're learning to ski and you're getting better and better and you only have one last day to ski and so you are dead tired but there's one run left and so you decide to go take the hardest run because you're ready now. You are not ready now. You are tired now. That is a terrible idea. Right? It's the right ordering of fear, not the absence of fear. So courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. So, you know, let, let's get the silliness of skiing off of us and look at, you know, when, when President Roosevelt had to make some really courageous decisions, it wasn't what, that there wasn't fear involved. It's that there was something more important than fear. Is there anything in your life more important than the fear that you have? I would submit that there is. Your children, your spouse, certainly your Lord and Maker, much more important than the fear that we can carry within us. It's time to have some courage. So why does it matter? Why do we have to have this courage? Because courage saves us from protecting our life so much that we lose it. Our world can get smaller and smaller and smaller to where we don't do any of the things that God calls us to or that we even know is right because we're afraid or we're tired or we're just exhausted or we've had enough. And so we get smaller and smaller. And if I'm not careful, I'll find myself in my lazy boy, well-named, right? Just doing nothing and not living my life, scrolling through other people's lives. Maybe you've been there. feels a lot safer. But friends, I can guarantee you it is not the same to watch somebody ski or to ski. Two different things. It's not the same to watch somebody go on a mission trip or go on that mission trip. It's not the same. It's not the same to watch other people be generous and to be generous yourself and to know what that feels like and to watch the difference it makes and to bring heaven to earth. These are different things. Different things. It takes courage. And Jesus says as much. He says it very clearly in Matthew. He says, for those who want to save their life, it's not possible. You're going to lose it. The smaller and smaller your life gets, it's not life at all. And in the Jewish tradition in the Bible, life and death, it wasn't just a cessation of breath. It was anything that wasn't the full life that God had for you. You can be dead walking through your life. I think most of us have been there sometimes where you just kind of, you, you leave your house and you arrive at work. You don't even remember how you got there. You spend your day, you don't really remember what you did at work. And you drive home, you don't remember driving home. You're just, you get there. If you look back, you don't really remember what you ate. It was just all yellow. Potatoes, macaroni and cheese, corn. I like that stuff, by the way. Right? And then Jesus says this, but those who choose to lose their life for my sake, to actually go all in with Jesus, you actually find life. You find it. Things you never expected. Miracles happen around you that you could have never known because God got involved. You know why most people never live this life? Fear. We're back to fear. 
But it's a particular kind of fear for most of us, and that is that we're going to lose our money. That's just the truth of it. Haven't you ever said, I would change my job today if I didn't have a mortgage? I would change my life tomorrow if I didn't have that car payment. I would change my life if I didn't. Wouldn't you take some serious investments on things like Apple um, or Tesla or other things if you knew you weren't going to lose your money, you were just going to make more of it? Sure you would. But the fear of loss actually can cripple you to not live a life at all. And this is why it's much easier to be reckless at a young age because you don't have any money. Right? And college kids will do all kinds of things that 50-year-olds don't do because they don't have any money yet. But if you work for the next 20, 30 years, and you actually have worked really hard for that money, you don't want to lose it. But if you're not careful, you'll lose your whole life trying to protect it rather than actually living your life. Jesus says that really clearly. So to really follow Jesus requires great courage. Great courage for his disciples then and now. It's always been that way. Jesus says in a really harsh way, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of what? Wolves. That doesn't sound like a good plan. But that's what Jesus says. To follow him is dangerous business. Important. But it takes courage. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Jesus says. And beware of them. There's real danger in the world, friends. For they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, Jesus says. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me. As a testimony to them and the Gentiles. And of course we know this is true. That every disciple of Jesus was martyred except John. And he died basically in prison on the island of Patmos. Would you say their lives were lived? We still know their names 2,000 years later. Not because they were great fishermen. Not because they were great tax collectors. But because they got involved with what Jesus called them to do. Change the world. You and I are here because of it. You see, courage saves us from despair. It actually saves us, saves our life as we live in to all that God has for us. And of course, the opposite uh, of courage really is what we would know as acedia, and the, the Greeks and the Romans knew this as well. And it is this dreary sadness, Peter says, this dreary sadness of heart, unwilling to accept the greatness to which man is called by God. You are called by God, and thus denying our true selves. There's nothing more sad than people who are afraid to live their life, because you only have one. You only have one. And you, you never know how long it's going to last. So how do we do it? How do we actually live into this brave life? Well, it takes clarity. It's amazing what happens in your life when you get clear on what you're about. Brene Brown uh, went to a 12-step group, and she overheard these words. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Can you say that with me? Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Haven't you found yourself in a conversation and... Um, you're less than clear. So, when are you going to be home tonight? Well, sometime between. Right? You, you want to be clear, but you're afraid that if you're clear, it's not going to go your way, so you're not clear. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. So when we become clear on what God is asking us to do, courage rises. The temperature of courage rises in our life. Jesus modeled this beautifully. He, he's baptized. This is baptism of the Lord Sunday for churches all around the world. 
And when he's baptized, the Spirit then sends him into the wilderness, into the desert. It's a very harsh place. And it's in that place the, the crucible of his faith is formed and the power of his life comes to the full. And he leaves after being tempted by the devil. He gets clear on who he is and he walks into the synagogue, their place of worship. And this is what he says in front of all the religious teachers. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor might drop. Right in front of them all. He's clear about what he's about. You know what happened? They hated him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. That also happens when you get clear on what God is asking you to do. You see, when we get clear on who we're going to help, what we're going to do, and how we're going to go about it, we catch fire with a fresh wind, and we see Jesus do exactly that. And so as a church, what are we clear about? At Acts 2, we are clear that we are people who welcome all. We say that with me? What do we do? We welcome all. If you're sitting here, were you not welcomed? Did someone not try to hand you donut holes and coffee? Show you where the bathrooms are and the nursery and the nursing room and all the rest? At no cost to you. You can walk on this property. It costs you nothing. And we invest more than a million dollars a year to make sure that we can welcome you and whoever else God brings us to his glory and his praise and his honor. Because we will accept and welcome any person the Holy Spirit brings to us in the same way we welcome you, whoever hears this message. Then why is this important? Well, for me as a church planter, it's super important because uh, the bishop asked me some more than 20 years ago to start a church between Edmund Road and Waterloo, uh, west of the Broadway, all the way to Penn. We took it all the way to Penn, right here, the last edge of Edmund. And what I found was... Um, that people were moving here from mainly rural parts of Oklahoma or other places that had oil and gas, and they were moving here, and they didn't know anybody. They didn't have a vet. They didn't know where to go to the grocery. They didn't know about childcare. They didn't know anything because they just moved here. Chantel and I just moved here with little kids. And this was important to me because when I was little, I moved all the time. I knew what it was to be new in a community. When I lived in Prattville, I started kindergarten at one school. Uh, it was across town at Sand Springs, and then I went to a different school for first grade. And then we moved to Bartlesville and went to a different school for second grade and third grade. And then I moved to a different school in fourth grade and fifth grade. Then I moved to Guthrie in sixth grade. So I had been in five schools in six years. I knew what it was to not belong, not to be in, not to have a place to know if I'd be welcomed or not. Maybe you've been there. I know what you're thinking. But you were so athletic and good-looking, you probably had no problems. (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, look at this kid. He was amazing. You see, one of the things about being new is you don't know when it's photo day. You notice there's one kid that doesn't have on a beautiful sweater or, you know, special bows or collared shirts. This kid with the braces, not pictured, the headgear, the crazy hair. And some shirt looks like I found in the church's basement. And who, who does that? And it, you know, it, it was okay because I was such a great athlete um, that nobody cared what I looked like. You know, because I was number 55. I think they did it by weight. I think I weighed 55 pounds in, in seventh grade. Right? I'm all the way over here um, to the left. 
And um, if you, I actually made the yearbook. I was so good here on the sidelines. And um, you'll notice that the top of my helmet is still shorter than the guy next to me and shorter than the guy next to him. <laughs> Nothing like seventh grade football. It's hard being on the outside, isn't it? It's hard not knowing any place that will welcome you. And friends, as long as I have breath, this will be a place. If you walk on this campus, we will say welcome. We will say welcome. And I'll fight to the death about that. We're a place of welcome. In the same way we welcomed you, our expectation is that you will do the same for whoever God brings here in the next five minutes, the next five years, the next 50 years. doesn't make any difference. You see, Tom Berlin has it right. He says the great thing about knowing what you're about is that you also know what you're not about. So I asked the staff on Monday, I said, well, what are, we, what are we not about? You know what they said? They said, we are not about judging or saving seats or cliques or ego or martyrdom. Around here, if you're serving in three places, that's too many. Our hope is that everybody in our church serves in one place, and they'll be fine. But you know what happens in most churches? There's a lot of people who don't do anything, and a few people get burned out in a heartbeat. We say no to that. Absolutely not. It gets weird. If you have somebody at your church five days a week, you know what? It means they got problems at home. That's what it means. It doesn't make them a great Christian. It makes them a martyr and, and escaping the things they need to work on. And it's not about our own comfort. And I know this will shock you, but we're not about handbells or robes or color of carpet controversies or arguing or division. The very things that Paul writes about will kill a church and the world. Competition with other churches, no. We're all on the same team or becoming a country club. Have no interest in that. We're not about hurry. We spent six weeks on that. We're not about anonymous letters or bulletin boards that are outdated or shame or blame or strife or developing Pharisees. You know, people who are religious but are not kind. People who use the Bible as a weapon rather as wisdom or being religious. You do know, friends, right? You do know that religion is only supposed to bring you to the foot of the cross. I mean, it means nothing to pray for God to give you the power to go to Bible study. It's the Bible study that God should give you the power to go out in the world, change the world. That's what we're about. We're not about exclusivity or being selfish or labels or being better than or merely believing without following. It takes courage to know the knowledge and actually put it into practice. We're not about ourselves. It's not about us. It's always been about who? Others. Think about this. If I was a church planter and the church was about me, I'd have a church of one. It doesn't work. It'll never work. And so we remind ourselves each and every week, we exist, why? Say it with me, to help non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers, people who follow Jesus so closely, you can can sense them, you can smell them, you can see the light on them, you can see the dust of our rabbi all over us. And it's time to do it now. Jeff will often remind, Jeff's our business administrator, we love him, and he will often say this to the staff. We have a grand idea, and you know what he says? He says, well, how long is it going to take? And we'll, we'll, throw out a, we'll throw out a number, and he's like, no. He says, friends, it's four days, four weeks, four months, or forever. If you can't get it done in four months, you're probably never going to do it. You have to make some serious headway in those first four months if you have a chance to do anything. You can't just hope it's so. He's right. God's calling you to do something, and you can't plan to do it six months from now. See, when we get clear about our calling, resistance will emerge just as it did for Jesus. Of course it can be tough. But clarity gives courage the power it needs to motivate us to act right now, in the here and now, the next three weeks. So when ordinary people, you and I, when we step into what God would have us do, miracles and magnificence, they just manifest. 
It's not something you manufacture. It's your obedience, and then you're amazed at what God does all around you more than you could possibly think or imagine, Paul writes in Ephesians 3. So here's your action step for this week. I want you to write this down. Certainly have it, and, and hopefully you'll share it with a friend so you have some accountability. The main thing I believe my life to be about in the next three months, three months, next 90 days, maybe even next three days, is what? There's all over the place. People are like, what's your 2022 going to be about? You don't know. That's way too long. Right? I mean, I'm lucky if I know what I'm having for lunch. So, so the thing is, narrow it down. Next three days, next three weeks, next three months. What is it? Because that thing that God's calling you to do, it's what the early church called your magnificence. When God gets involved, when you become obedient, the magnificence just rises up around you. You say, well, what would that look like? Well, it looks like this. You write in caring for my parents. There's a lot of us that have older parents in their 80s. That will be my magnificence. It's important. It's not something I can do later. For others of you, being a better friend, read the bottom line with me, will be my magnificence. It's a beautiful thing to be a good friend. Or helping students read at grade level will be my magnificence. Can you imagine if our church decided, if our people decided that every student at Frontier or any other elementary were going to read at grade level and we would do whatever it took to help that happen? Resources, financing, teachers, right? Interns, volunteers, tutors. Wouldn't that be magnificent? If you could actually change the world? Be a beautiful thing. So, friends, what will be your magnificence? What will it be? It's a great question that I hope you'll have the courage to step into today. And for those of you who are parents, like I am, your magnificence, it's an incredible gift to your children. It's an incredible gift. Because I am haunted by the words of psychiatrist Carl Jung. He says, the greatest burden a child can bear is the unlived life of a parent. Step into your courage. Step into what God has for you. Don't hope that your kids will live that out someday. Don't put your unlived expectations on your kids. It's tragic. Live your life. Have courage. Step into your life. So that it never falls on your kids. It's your life to live, not theirs. You know this. It's easier to know than to do. So, be courageous, friends. God has something good for you this day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.